In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, we know these books are written, uh, 1 and 2 Timothy are written to Timothy. Him being a young man, but what I was thinking a moment ago was um, I had had not been in, in preaching school very long, I guess, and, and Brother Frank Chester, one of, if not my most favorite preacher I've ever heard, he was in the area where I lived, uh, had been preaching there a number of years, but you know, you could walk in the door, and if he knew that you could preach, you were going to preach that day. It didn't matter. Uh, no warning whatsoever. He says, you're preaching. And on this particular occasion, I was preaching. Did the most worst and horrible job you've ever seen. But boy, he took that hand when I got through and shook it like he, he really meant it. He said, boy, that's good. He said, you keep it up. We need encouragement, don't we? That might have been one of the things that kept me going. I don't know. I'm sure it was one of them. might have been the thing that kept me going. But if you keep on and you keep on. And so you read these books that Paul wrote to Timothy, and it, 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 hits, it hits hard when we really think. You know, here's an older man, and he is encouraging a younger man. We need to encourage our young men. One of our sons uh, finished Memphis School of Preaching a few years back, and we had no idea he was even interested in preaching. Brother Garland Elkins came and spoke at the congregation, and as he was uh, an expert at, he would look at, he would always look at these young men. He says, "You need to start preaching school." And he said this to one of our sons, and one day he walked up, our son did, he said, I'm going to preaching school. And we said, what? You know, we had no idea. So we need to encourage these young men. We do not know what encouragement it might give to them and, and boost them uh, to do what is right and to, uh, and, and to preach the gospel, for that matter, and become elders and deacons in the Lord's church. Young Timothy... We know that Paul says in the uh, uh, second chapter or fourth chapter of Second Timothy, he he is he is writing to Timothy, and we're familiar with chapter four and verse two. When uh, I've used it so much this week, preach the word. But you know, later on, Paul says uh, to Timothy, "I am now ready to be offered." He he knew that it was his his time on this earth was just about up. He knew that he was going to depart soon. Paul was in prison. He had been forsaken by friends. He said uh, in 2 Timothy 1.15, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. And then in 2 Timothy 4.10, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. That's one of the saddest verses in the Bible to me to know folks that have forsaken the truth and have gone back into the world. And Paul is encouraging Timothy. Paul was suffering as an evildoer. He was not suffering because of what he had done evil. But in 2 Timothy 2.9, he says that he's suffering as an evildoer. He was doing what was right, but he was having to suffer the things that an evildoer would suffer. Paul was ready to go. He was ready to be offered. Let's turn over. I don't have this, this marked. Uh, turn over to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, 
Verse 21. Chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I, what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Do you ever get just outdone? I know I got outdone just a few years ago. I had been uh, had gone for uh, I don't know thirty years I guess and preached at different congregations and then all of a sudden congregation I was working with told me to hit the road they fired me. I go to another congregation after that and they fired me. I go to another congregation after that and they fired me and I said I've had enough. So I was out of preaching for about four years. And I sat in the pew and I listened to these guys make an attempt to preach. And I thought, that's not preaching the Word. So I'm back in. I'm here to stay. And we need encouragement. Sometimes it comes in the form of those that, that won't preach the Word. Reminds me, and I should have mentioned this last night, when I was talking about, what was I talking about last night? Uh, I am ready to preach. Um, I, I heard someone speak at a lectureship one time, and boy, they did an excellent job. Didn't know the, the man that was speaking, but I heard some others talking about him after it was over, and one says, boy, he can preach. Can he said, Brandy, they must be really uh, glad for their, the preacher they have back where he preaches on a regular basis. And someone was from that area, and they looked over and says, he doesn't preach like that when he's at home. That's sad. We need to preach like that, like Paul is telling Timothy to preach, no matter where we are. Remember, he said something about uh, in season and out of season. And we need to do it all of the time, not just part of the time. The, uh, the passage here in, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul is, is saying here that he's ready to be offered in the time of my departure as a hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith henceforth, or therefore, because of this, there's a crown of life, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I think you need to back up considering who he's talking to or who he's writing to, Timothy here. Yeah, writing to this young man, and back up in chapter 3 and verse 15, he mentions the, the fact that Timothy knew the Scriptures from a child. That's rare today that anyone knows the Scriptures, but uh, we need to teach our children Scriptures. We went to... Most anyone that is going to preaching school, you're just flooded with uh, memory work, and you think I'll never be able to do that. The um, one of our roommates used to go out in the backyard, and he would walk up and down the fence, and he'd pull his his card out of his pocket, and he'd read the scripture, he'd stick it back in his pocket, and he'd start quoting scripture going up and down the fence. He said, "Boy, those next door neighbors thought I was nuts." Because they thought he was out there talking to himself. But 
We need to teach our children scriptures, do we not? They need to know the Bible. They need to know why uh, uh, of, of certain things. They need to be able to quote it. Yes, they may not know what it means, but they'll come to know what it means. But here, Paul says in, in verse 15 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, what's this, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes into verse 16 and 17 that we hear so often. He reminds him all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, Truly, totally, completely furnished unto all good works. And then he goes into chapter 4 to Timothy. Now remember, this is Timothy that knew the Scriptures from a child. He reminded him that the Scriptures were God-breathed. He says, Now I charge thee, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine. Why, Paul? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And then he told him why he told him that. For I am now ready to be offered. How are we ever going to replace men like Tom Bright, like Larry Yarber, like Ted Thrasher, like some of those that have gone many years ago have gone on? Who's going to take over OABS? Chuck Norris getting old. <laughs> you know, somebody's got to do it. Why not one of these young men that are here tonight? Preparing them to be ready. And so here's, a, here's an older preacher encouraging the younger preacher. He says, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He had been tried and was soon to die. Second Timothy 4, 6, of course, indicates that uh, he, he's, uh, his time was up, so to speak. I don't know how many years later it was that, that he, he died, but you know, any of us that are of any age or have been preaching very long, our departure is close by. We need replacements. We need those that will take the, the bull by the horns. Reminds us of the brevity of life, doesn't it? And I know I spoke about this a little bit in another lesson, but James said that our, our life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, verse 24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. We've been seeing a lot of withering lately with the dryness and the weather, and we understand what he was talking about. That life is brief on this earth. 
The departure really is at hand for each and every one of us because we don't know when the Lord might return. We don't know when we might leave this earth. Matthew 25:13 tells us, excuse me, to watch therefore, for ye know neither the, neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And you know, they were exhorted to be ready in 2 Peter 3, verses 9 through 14. Uh, man begins to think, well, we got plenty of time. But time means nothing to the Lord. You know, one day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. It doesn't mean anything to Him. But when He is ready for the end to come, it's going to come. But back to the theme, am I ready? Am I ready to be offered? Paul says, I fought a good good fight. We talked about warfare a little bit in previous lessons. And, of course, uh, 2 Timothy uh, uh, 2, verses 3 through 5 talks about, or at least uh, alludes to warfare. And Ephesians 6, verses uh, 10 through 18 talks about, talks about putting on the whole armor of God. The Christian life is a warfare. It's no vacation. I, I remember so many things. You wouldn't think I, I couldn't remember the long tests when you had them in school, but I can remember them now. Uh, I remember someone speaking up one day and asking Brother Roy Hearn when we were students. He, they said, uh, Brother Hearn, we're go, are we going to be off, let's say, uh, Labor Day? We're going to be off Labor Day? And he, I don't know if any of you knew him, but he'd go, <coughs> we'll take off when the devil does. That kind of answers your question, doesn't it? We're not going to take off. You know, we need to be ready. We need to understand that the Christian life is a warfare. There's no vacation from the Lord. There's no... Uh, furlough, so to speak, that they have sometimes in the military. It's a, it's a life of warfare. Remember what Paul said, I read earlier, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Well, is, is Christ our life? We're in a fight. And so Paul says, I fought a good fight. Have, have I fought a good fight? You know, it's interesting, too, that he went on to say, I finished my course. Some people begin the fight, they give up, they don't get back into the fight ever again. We have a race to run, we have a fight or a battle on our hands. Hebrews 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to learn the lesson from the old farmer. They have the GPS and everything in their tractors today, but the old farmer, he still goes out to plow. You know, he, he's got, you are probably always wonder how does he how does he plow such a straight line? Well, he looks at the end of the field, all the way down to the end, how long it may be, and he spots something down there, usually a tree, and he doesn't take his eye off of it. 
And he goes straight to it. And then when he gets through and he looks back, he's got a straight line. Then he's got something to follow. You know what's happening many times today is we don't finish the course. We take our eye off the mark, which is Jesus Christ. We take our eye off of heaven. That's our goal. That's what we're seeking for. Paul says that he's finished his course. And notice he said, my course. It was his. He had to endure a lot of things that I don't know that I could endure. But I probably endured some things that he might not have been able to handle. I don't know. Well, we have our course. We're all trying to do the same thing, yes, but we have to all obey the same gospel. We have to all run the race. I often have said that that we, we know something about qualifying for races and you have to meet the qualifications and so on and so forth. And many people think that when they obey the gospel, they hear, they believe, they repent, confess, be baptized, then that's it. That, no, those are the qualifications to enter the race. That's when it begins. That's not when it ends. But many will get into the race to that point and they won't finish their course. Remember Paul giving um, giving um, the I don't like to call it a story, but I guess that's what, that's what it is. But it was it's not a fairy tale story; it's the truth. He was telling about his conversion in in Acts twenty six verses sixteen through eighteen. He was told to rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of the things in the which I appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, uh, unto whom now I send. What to do what, Paul? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That was his course. He was to go and preach and teach to the Gentiles. He was to bring the... the he was to open the, the people's eyes to light rather than darkness. That's pretty much our responsibility today is to open the eyes of those that are dark, open them to the light. In Colossians 1.23, Paul wrote, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Every creature under heaven heard the word of God. You know, often we're, we hear the question asked, about folks that uh, have never heard the gospel, will they be lost? Yeah, they'll be lost. That's sad. But let that sink in for a moment. They've never heard the gospel, and they're going to be lost. Well, Paul said that every creature under heaven had heard, so who has dropped the ball, so to speak? Yes, we started the race, but we haven't finished the course. He says, I finished my course. He accomplished that. Have we started our course? Do we even have a course? 
Do we know our course? Are you ready to begin? I hope everyone says, yes, I'm ready to begin. So Paul said, I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. He didn't say a faith. He says, I've kept the faith. Jude 3 tells us that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. Not just faith. Reminds me of Garland Elkins again. He was on a television program in Memphis, and they had, uh, I think, three denominational preachers on there with him. And the title of the the uh, program, you could call in and ask questions, and was, What is your faith? And boy, Brother Garland could answer those people with Scripture every single time to the point that it went, I don't know how many years went by, but a couple of those denominational preachers went to the station and says, we're not going to be on this program anymore unless you get rid of him. Because he answers everything with Scripture. They couldn't handle Scripture. We need to earnestly contend for the faith. One Lord, one faith, the fours of Ephesians chapter the ones of Ephesians the fours of the 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 ones of Ephesians chapter four. And there's one faith. Acts six verse seven says the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Oh, that's the faith that Paul says, I have kept the faith. First Peter 4, 6, uh, 17 and 18, so it says, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be or what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if this righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner uh, sinner appear? Well, obey those that obey not the gospel of God. There's just one gospel. There's just one faith. It's not difficult to understand if we want to understand it. Paul says, I have kept the faith. And because of this, it goes on to say, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. It's there for, for all of us, and I'll comment a little more on that later, but... The crown, a garland of victory. You know, the, he often talked or, or wrote about the, or used language rather, concerning the Olympic, Olympic Games, the Olympian Games, not the Olympics that we have today, but some of the crowns are similar. You know, they're, they're, um, the, the, you receive a prize for finishing uh at the top of the list, so to speak, finishing first, and they award second and third. And Paul, Paul, like I said, often talked about the this kind of race. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run, that ye may obtain. If you don't run, you're not going to obtain it. If you're not in the race, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, you're not in the race. But I want to go to heaven, and I believe I'm going to heaven, someone might, might say. 
Not if you haven't entered the race. There's no way to get to heaven. You have to come, you have to meet the qualifications and begin this race. And he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Probably all of us have won some kind of medal or some kind of certificate or, or trophy or something along the way. Uh, and, and you know, they, they fade away. You lose them. Sometimes if you get a certificate, you can't read it any longer. I'm reminded even if you go out to the graveyard and start getting into some of these old uh, graveyards, you'll begin to, to run into some of those gravestones that, that they have deteriorated so you can't even read the dates or the names on them. You might say that's a crown or a corruptible crown there, but we're going to receive an incorruptible crown it, just like Paul says here. He's, in verse 26 of, of 1 Corinthians 9, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, that by any means, which I, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, crown's there for me because I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. He often talked about sports, and again, he's talking about it here. I'm not doing this as one that beateth the air. All of us have seen fighters in practice, and they go around, you know, and they're doing this, and they call it shadow boxing, I think, now, but they're just beating the air. Paul said, I'm not beating the air. I'm in the race. I'm in the real thing. Are we in the real thing? If we are, that crown of life is there. James said in chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Temptation, it, it faces us every day. Like Brother Hearn says, we'll take a day off when the devil does. He doesn't take a day off. And temptation is not going to take a day off either. It is always in front of us. I think I used the, the term last night, it's always flooding our mind. Or was that the night before? Every night's the same, man, a gospel meeting, right? So, flooding our minds with temptation day by day. And so, enduring that temptation makes us stronger. Makes us be able to handle it a little better next time. You know, you take out, if you take out your Bibles and and turn over to, uh, don't do that now, you don't have to do it now, but in Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3, you have the seven letters to the churches of Asia. And at the end of each of those letters, it says something about those that overcome. They're going to receive the crown, aren't they? Well, that's to me, that's to you. If I overcome, I'm going to receive that crown. And that crown is something that fades not away. Wouldn't it just just imagine in your mind standing before Almighty God in judgment now and He says, Come, 
Ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from, uh, for, from the foundation of the world. From the very beginning, He's promised a crown to those that enter the course, fight the fight, finish the course, keep the faith. The crown is there for each and every one of us. In 1 Peter 5, verse 4, it says, When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Are you ready to be offered? Are you ready to receive that crown? Would you have to bow your head in shame and say, never entered the race. I entered one time, but I didn't finish my course. You know, the crown, we need to understand, is not an earthly glory. Jesus spoke of those that like to receive the praise of men. In, in Matthew 6, verse 5, He says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Sometimes I have even gotten outdone with myself. I might have done what I'm supposed to do, and sometimes I toot my horn and ought to be quiet. You ever done that? I've seen people get mad in the church because they were not recognizable what they did. Well, you have your glory. You can't expect that crown that the Lord has promised to those that love Him. You know, we, we don't go about to do the Lord's work to be patted on the back, although we need to pat on the back those that are doing the Lord's work. But the one that's receiving the pat on the back can have the attitude of, I expect it, and this is what you're supposed to do. Do it. Just do it because you want that crown of life in the end. This crown has been laid up. It's been set aside for those that work for it. It's not going to come if you're not working for it. Or did our parents always tell us anything worth having is worth working for? That crown's worth working for. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. John 14, verse 1, beginning. He says, You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, watch this, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He's already prepared and set aside a crown for me. But do I want it? Well, I better enter the race. I better finish the course. Or else that crown is just going to be there for someone else. Mark 10, verse 30 says, But he shall receive a hundredfold now and this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Eternal life with him. 1 John 2.25 says, This is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. We, we as human beings, I guess it's difficult for us to comprehend eternal because we see ends, uh, things ending. 
You know, it's like we use terms like, well, if I can just see the light at the end of the tunnel, I can make it. Can you see heaven? If you can, you can make it. You can receive that crown. Titus 1-2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. There's that promise even before the world began. That crown was set aside for me and for you. This crown is to be given by Jesus Christ. I've seen many a preacher introduced by someone and many times they go on and on and you think, well, sit, sit down and, and let him speak. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a joy to hear someone call your name and to introduce you. And you think, hey, that's me. My, I always tease my mom. First time I did radio work, she was visiting with us one time, and, and of course it was pre-recorded. And when I came on the radio, I did like this, <laughs> and you know she got a kick out of that. I got a kick out of it too. But you know we like we like to hear our name called, don't we? But think about our name being called by Jesus, our Savior. The one that went to the, to the cross and died for our sins. And and First Timothy 4 8 says talk, that the Lord's going to give that crown. He's going to present it to us. I know there won't be any tears in heaven, but boy, <laughs> that'd be hard to hold him back then, wouldn't it? When he calls my name and gives me a crown. Crown will be given in that day, verse eight of First Timothy or Second Timothy four, verse eight. It'll be in that day. What's that day? That's that's the day of days. John five, twenty eight and twenty nine says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Which will it be for us? The hour is coming. We're not going to be able to hold it back. Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about the, the uh, gives the, the um, uh, judgment scene there, he talks about, uh, well, let's look at, at Matthew 25, verse 34. Then shall the king say, the king, that's Jesus. He'll say to them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I want that crown. Am I ready to be offered? Am I ready to meet him in judgment? This is so close to tomorrow night's lesson. But come back and listen to tomorrow night's lesson anyway. It'll be a little bit different. In, uh, in, in verse 46 of Matthew 25, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. One or the other. We're going to receive everlasting punishment, or we're going to receive life eternal. Why was the crown laid up for Paul? I think we pretty much covered that throughout the lesson. But you could say it really in one word, obedience. He obeyed God in all things. 
Acts 9, when he's the first account we have of, of uh, Saul of Tarsus' conversion, which later was the Apostle Paul, the Lord appeared to him, and he said, Who, are, who art thou, Lord? Acts 9, verse 5. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You know, most of the religious world today says that Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. Well, that totally contradicts what we just read, doesn't it? It says, Go into the city, and it'll be told thee what thou must do. He had to do something. He didn't earn his salvation, but he had to do what God said. Obedience. That's why Paul received that crown of life. He was telling this account again uh, to King, King Agrippa in, in Acts chapter 26 and verse 19. He says to, uh, to Agrippa, he says, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I was obedient. I did what I was supposed to do. And then he served God. Philippians 3 verses 12 through 14 says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Remember the farmer? He looked at the end of the field. He said, that's where I want to go. By the way, I had to learn that when I started mowing greens on a golf course. So you wouldn't do this. You'd go straight. That's why you got straight lines there, too. You look at something at the end of the way. I remember one... I'm getting, getting off course now, but I have to tell about myself sometimes, I guess. I remember the superintendent sent me out to mow fairways, and he thought I had lights on my, my mower, and I didn't. But there was enough shadows out there that I found a tree way up high, and I looked at that tree, and in the dark I went. And you know what? When the sun came up, that line was just as straight as it could be because I didn't take my eye off the mark. Don't take your eye off heaven. We need to be in service to God each and every day. And of course, Paul received this crown because of obedience. You could say that in one word, but he served God all of his life. He said he finished the course. And he was accountable or considered himself accountable to the law of God. We have some today say that, that uh, non-Christians are not uh, amenable to the laws of Christ. And or they usually are trying to, to deal with something concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Oh, yes, you are. If, we, if a non-Christian was not amenable to the laws of Christ, then he wouldn't have to obey the gospel. And I, that's ridiculous. You have to obey the gospel. We are accountable to the law, law of God. And in Romans 8, 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, are we listening to Christ? Are we listening and then doing what He says? Matthew seven twenty four. 24, we, we have the, 
the uh, teaching there concerning the wise man and the foolish man, both of them heard the same teachings. Both of them were, were beat upon with the elements of life, so to speak. But one stood and one did not. Why? Because one heard and obeyed. The other just heard only. You know, not only... Paul said not only himself was going to receive that crown of life, but all those that love his appearing. I can't wait till Jesus comes back. You ever think about that? Wouldn't it be great if he came back while you were still alive on the earth? Now, I don't guess it'd make any difference because it would be in the twinkling of an eye, but we don't know when, but he is coming. We love His appearing by loving Him and doing what He says. John 14, 15, everyone can probably quote that. If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Bumper sticker says, honk if you love Jesus. I get kind of frustrated and tickled at the same time. Well, you better not take your hand off the horn then, if that's true. <laughs> just go down the road with your hand uh, just constantly honking. No, if you love me, keep my commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous, 1 John 5, 3. Can we speak as Paul spoke concerning his farewell to Timothy and the crown? Am I sure that I would receive that crown? Are you? You don't have to answer. Have you begun the course? Are you running the course? Have you kept the faith? If so, then the crown is there. It's awaiting you right now. Before the foundation of the world, it was prepared. But it's you, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, that's obedience. We need to obey Him. We hear the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. We have faith, John eight twenty four. We repent of our sins, Acts seventeen thirty. We confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, as the eunuch did in Acts eight thirty seven. And we're baptized to wash away our sins, Acts 22.16. We've met the qualifications to begin the race. The race is set before us. Are we going to enter the race? We're we just going to say, well, I qualified. Got to show up. We got to do. Got to finish the course. If you've fallen short of that, we encourage you to repent. Make things right with God. Are you ready to be offered? Come as together we stand and sing.